Hey fellow Stock Guardians, welcome to the show. Today I have a special episode for you. Two of our latest portfolio creators, the investors behind Intern Investing are today here with me on the show and I want to introduce them to you. So without further ado, Zane and Connor, welcome to the show. Thank you. Be here. Happy to be here. Right? So let's just jump, jump in. Um, tell us about your YouTube channel, your work in investing. Uh, what is your brand called? What is your portfolio called? And let the Stock Guardians get to know you better. Sure, I'd be happy to talk about us. So uh, Connor and I met just this summer um, working at The Motley Fool together and we learned so much. And you know, we realized we really liked um, being able to help people, being able to share our ideas with uh, the world basically. So we took what we learned there and from all of our investing background and started working together on a podcast. Um, and we also have a blog on our website. So we're at interninvesting.com um, and Intern Insights on YouTube uh, and Twitter as well. Awesome. So you guys met um, pretty early on. It's really cool to find an investment buddy, as you, as you would call it, or friend who could kind of invest, um, you could invest together. Uh, tell us a little bit, maybe Connor, you tell us, what. how did you feel yeah, Zane's going to be a good investment buddy for you or like a friend? What did he see in him as a friend, obviously, but as an investor that he thought, okay, I'm going to go and uh, partner with him? Yeah, so we worked with a few interns this summer, um, and it just happened that Zane and I got to know each other pretty well. Um, and you know, we talked outside of work, and I just thought, you know, why don't? And and I had had a podcast previously, um, but what I realized doing it myself was it's hard to um, it's hard to do a podcast yourself. So I would have rather you know done it with somebody, and um, you know, Zane and I were were a good fit. Awesome. And do you guys do your own research separately or is it that each of you do research and then you share research with each other? Is there a special bond or research process that goes between you two that make your investment better as if you, if you were to comfort to when you were, if you were not doing it as a, as a team? Yeah, I'd say we work as a team, but at the same time, we're really good at bouncing ideas off of each other. So maybe I'll come to the table with an idea. Hey, like I really like this stock idea, maybe we should talk about it. And then, you know, I don't like everything that Connor likes and he doesn't like everything that I like. And we have differing opinions. Um, and that's something that I think is part of our brand. And we can really have collaboration um, and realize that we're better investors when other people are holding us accountable and bringing other ideas to the table. Yeah, to, to add on top of that, um, I think Zane and I bring a good amount of optimism and cynicism to a situation. Um, so if Zane is talking about one company, I think I'm good at prodding him into saying, hey, why don't you look at this? This doesn't look so great. And Zane is fantastic at doing that for me as well. Um, so there's always, you know, things in companies that sometimes you might get a little too optimistic about and be so bullish that you kind of, you know, put the blinders up and you don't see anything else. And we're great at, you know, exposing those areas to each other. I love that. That makes a lot of sense. I always found that even when I'm trying to invest, a lot of investors are like that way. If you like a company, you go down this route of like keep finding 
information that confirms why you like that company and it's very difficult to kind of just step back and say well i mean there is some it can't be it's all rosy there's some bad things about this company as well but when you start liking a company it's very difficult to come up with those negative stuff so it's really good it's really helpful that you you do bounce up these ideas and kind of like check him check him balance your your each other's thought of thought process i guess Cool. So let's talk about each of you where, where and when in your basically uh, career um, you started thinking about actually you want to be somehow related with the world of investing. When was your first investment actually in the stock market? And is there a moment in your life that you remember and say, that was the day I thought, okay, I want to be an investor? So for me, I actually got into investing back in 2017. And then 2017, as a lot of people remember, was the year that Bitcoin really took off. Um, and so I got involved with that. The stock market wasn't actually even my first um, you know, thing that I invested in. It was Bitcoin. Um, and so I was 18 at the time. I was a senior in high school. And um, what I quickly realized was not every investment turns out like Bitcoin. Um, you know, everything doesn't soar a hundred percent in a couple months, you know, that's not typical. Uh, my first investment actually was something that I thought um, was going to be a good value play. I invested in Office Depot. And to be quite honest with you, the reason that I invested in Office Depot back in high school was because the share price was very low. And I thought, huh, you know, maybe it'll go up a lot. Like, you know, your typical young investor. Um, since then, I'm, I'm happy to say that I've, I've grown a lot as an investor, <laughs> but that was, um, that was what started me. Yeah. Wow, that that's that's a good that's a super so super interesting story because you started from crypto and uh, and Bitcoin and then your the opposite side of it was Office Depot. So that that the, the, the distance between these two types of investing is so different. But uh, kudos to you to have that sort of the courage of like pulling off all these different strategies at such a young age. Very cool. What about you, Zane? Uh, what was your sort of like moment? Yeah, so I would say as I was about to turn 18, um, you know, most people are excited to uh, do things other than open a Roth IRA, but <laughs> that's all that, you know, that meant for me is, oh, I can turn 18. I can kind of take a hold of my own money. So, you know, I was quick to get a credit card, get a Roth IRA and, you know, all these things. And I started investing and I believe the first stock uh, that I bought was Enphase Energy has since done really well. And I wish I could say that I held on to them the entire time, but I didn't know what I was doing at the time because I bought them solely from the notion that renewable energy is going to be the next big thing. And that's really what was the first trend that got me excited about investing. Um, and it's kind of shaped my mindset around, you know, investing for the future that you want to see. That's pretty cool. So what was that driver behind you were waiting for your raw sire. Is it like family? Is it friends? Like, well, who was the driver behind? Like, you gotta get your raw sire, or was you reading a lot? Like, what was that fire behind it? Yeah, you know, it's hard to pinpoint one person in particular. I wouldn't even really say it's uh, my family, uh, but reading definitely helped. Reading um, one book, um, I think it was called How to Make Money in Stocks by William J. O'Neill. Um, Decent read at the time, and I was so interested in this book uh, because it was my first uh, time reading a book on the stock market. But you know, now my my philosophy has changed so much, and it doesn't really reflect that at all. And I think there's a lot of things 
that I would keep from the book and a lot of things that I would disagree with, um, mostly because it's more of a trading mindset. But I would say that book probably helped. Cool. So you said your investment strategy kind of evolved, which is which always happens, right? If they always say if you're a good investor, you constantly revise and refine your investment, um, at least methodology and what you look for. So let's talk about that a little bit. Both of you have different portfolios on the stock card. We talked about your bounce of ideas, but it looks like you make different investment um, decisions on your own and then manage different portfolios. So let's just get in there. Um, maybe then we continue having the conversation to and then we go to Connor. If you want to describe what is your strategy now, what is your methodology of evaluating your stocks and picking your stocks? Where are you now? How do you go about it? Yeah, right now, I would say focus on the long term and focus on um, not, honestly, not so much diversifying and kind of concentrating on what I know the best. Um, if there's a company that uh, I really know super well, it's going to give me an advantage uh, over other people because maybe if um, the stock's down a little bit, I'm not going to sell uh, if it's up or if it's up, you know, the same thing is true. I'm not really reacting to as much of the short-term news when, I, you know, I can see down the line, this is what I think the stock's going to be worth. And if that thesis and that story is still intact, that's what matters to me. So I think finding a couple good companies that you really uh, believe in the mission and believing the people behind it is definitely my strategy. That's cool. I love it. Connor, what about you? How, how close or how far are you in terms of strategy from what Zane does? Um, I think we're relatively similar. Um, there's different focuses that both of us have. Um, Zane is very focused in the energy sector. I'm not uh, you know, as well you know, knowledgeable in that area. Um, but for me, as an overall um, strategy that I have, I'm definitely a long-term focused investor. I've always believed that that's the only way that you can consistently win over, you know, a, a period of decades. Um, you know, there will be short-term investors who will win. They'll hit big on, you know, certain weeks or certain days. But I think the only way that you can win throughout life um, is with long-term investing. And you can do that through, you know, value methods or growth methods typically, or, or personally, I'm, I'm a growth investor. Um, I'm looking for those companies that I want to see growth in. Um, you know, valuation is not something that I typically am using to look for an investment, but it's something that I definitely look at, you know, before I invest, um, you make sure nothing's crazy out of the ordinary. Um, and I think something that I've learned from David Gardner, um, who's a founder at Motley Fool that I've really kind of incorporated into my own strategy is that you do want to invest uh, for your best vision of the future. Um, so finding companies that you think are going to make the world a better place, finding companies that you think could create, like if, if you're picturing what the world should be like in 20 years, well, find those companies that you think can do that um, and invest in them. And I think that's really important. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I mean, obviously, multiple team and David Garner have these, these great philosophies to investing. All even build on top of what Dave Garner always say is that investing is a financial reflection of who we are, right? What we believe in. So it is not only it's our best vision for the future, but some, for me, at least my portfolio is, is the brands I'm, I'm consuming. It's the stuff that I spend time on. And obviously the things that I believe is going to shape the future in a way, it's like a little mini me in a financial form <laughs> sitting on, on this brokerage. Uh, so that, that makes investing so much entrenched in day-to-day -day in your life right it feels it belongs to you as opposed to 
if you invest in an index fund, obviously it's cool and it's really good investment. And a lot of people really believe in that. But one of the reasons I don't really do too much index investing is just I don't have any um, I don't have any feelings <laughs> for an index, right? It's good. It's in my portfolio, but I, I have a lot of feelings about that stocks that I've been holding for a long time. So that's sort of my angle to it. So Connor, your investment portfolio on a stock card, it brings a combination of high growth and then you say lower risk and you emphasize on the lower risk side of it. It's funny, since it's been up, a few people have pinged us on the live chance, like, this is interesting. We would want to know what does that mean? What does the lower side of it mean? And how would Connor decide it's a high growth and then how would he differentiate between a high growth, high uh, risk and high growth and lower risk? So let's talk about that. How would you say a stock is high growth but also have lower risk? And how do you go about evaluating uh, that stock opportunity? Yeah, so when I put this portfolio together, um, it was the beginning of 2020. There were some COVID concerns, but you know we hadn't spiraled downward at that point. Um, and so I was trying to find companies that passed what um, I've learned is the SNAP test from David Gardner as well. As you can tell, he's you know somewhat of a mentor of mine. Um, and basically, what the SNAP test means is when you're looking at a company, if they were to just if you were to snap your fingers and they were to disappear from this earth, what would the world look like, and would people notice? Um, and so each one of these companies that I went through, they passed the SNAP test because if they disappeared, a lot of people are going to know and a lot of people are going to be struggling in certain areas without these companies. Um, so there's a difference when you put together a growth portfolio of um, what you would consider high growth stocks. Um, a lot of times you're looking at small cap. A lot of times, you know, you're looking at very risky companies. And so what I tried to do is I tried to find the companies that are staples in an industry. Um, they have a lot of cash on their balance sheet, and also they passed the SNAP test. And so far, um, it's worked out really well. I know in um, 2020, at the very bottom in March, um, when the S&P 500 was down more than 30%, my portfolio was down around 17%. And so it might, you know, that that is a, a pretty big difference there, especially when you're looking at it from a mental state. Like if your portfolio is down over 30%, that can make you do some really stupid things. Um, a lot of times you'll sell out of some stuff that you shouldn't. Um, but you know, when you're looking at it down 17%, it's not nearly as bad, especially on the mental side. Yeah. I love that. So that's, a, that's a really good, good idea. So you look at a companies that have a lot of growth potential, but also they have strengths in their operations and their balance sheet to be able to sort of weather any storm like COVID-19 storm. And, uh, that's the lower risk side of your decision-making process. Is that right? That's correct. That's awesome. And Zane, let's just kind of bring it to you. And your portfolio on a stock card is future of energy. And I was very curious to just even understand why energy and why what is the particular interest? To be honest, like I know and renewable energies are good. And obviously, you know, we have all heard of Tesla and Neo and everything else. But for me, evaluating energy stocks are very difficult to do. Um, so I'd love to hear about what intrigue you about renewable energy or actually a future of energy not only renewable energy whatever that means to you and uh, tell us about how do you go about evaluating them what is so different or how, how is how the evaluation process of an energy stock is different from let's say an apple or an um, amazon or something like that sure uh yeah so i basically got super into it like i said as soon as i started investing i knew you know renewables is a wave that i want to be on i want to invest 
uh, with the current there for sure. So when I got into the investment club at my school, I went for energy and utilities and I'm now the sector head there. So I'm kind of responsible for always looking at those sectors, watching the moves and trying to find the best companies. So uh, I've got a lot of practice for sure. And I added the companies that I did because this, uh, this portfolio is an idea of the companies that I bought uh, when I turned 18 and could start investing with just the mindset of, you know, this is what I like. This is what I see of the future. Would that have performed well? And the answer is uh, an outstanding yes if I had held everything uh, that, I, that I believed in and stuck with that portfolio. Uh, and I think I evaluated them just on that metric. Are they going to change the world? And do they have a strong competitive advantage? And I think the answer for all of them is yes. Uh, for example, Enphase Energy is making uh, inverters for solar energy, and they're doing it in a different way than everybody else. Uh, most of them kind of use string inverters, which gets the power from the whole roof and then puts it into the uh, inverter as one. Uh, Enphase does it differently with micro inverters that get the power from each individual solar panel. So little niche things like that, I think, make a big difference. That's, I had no idea. I'm actually an investor. I, I believe I still hold the Enphase energy, but I never knew what even like micro converter means i'm like it's good it has lots of lots of cash or it's really strong future yeah. future is in and i'm like all right i'm in but i love it that you actually know how the technology works and yeah. what the difference and and i should also add beyond that the reason it's called the future of energy is because i think each company has a role to play stem energy uh works with uh batteries and energy storage and then you have uh, Tesla dealing with solar. I think they're going to be a leader there and continue to continue to be a leader there. Vestas in wind. And I think they're all going to combine for a distributed um, energy environment where people can really take power of their, uh, their energy, be an independent producers, sell it back to the grid. And it's going to make our whole grid a lot more resilient, uh, disrupt utilities. And I think just create an era of low cost, abundant energy, which would be a huge social good. Yeah, I agree with you. I actually recently just got very, as like a personal experience into understanding the battery for like homes and energy storage and things like that. And I was so surprised to realize the, the best batteries you could buy for your house, maybe can keep more so like six to five to six, seven hours of energy consumption for your house and that's it. And I was, that kind of like told me, oh my God, the opportunity for storage, for battery is still so huge because even the best of the best can only store, obviously there's like cell packs and you could buy multiple cells and then you have to have your own big, huge thing. But like as a one house, like how much, um, you know, space is on the wall of our garage? Like there's not that much, right? So maybe we can store 24, 24 hours worth of energy if we do a lot of it and we don't consume um, but think about the future of energy and storage and there's so much technology enhancements and improvements is there to be able to really make like a household fully energy renewable, like en renewable energy sufficient, right? Not to want to do anything else. So it's just a fascinating uh, space and I, I really love it that you invested that and focus on that space. So let's talk about most of you guys invest in companies that are of course, lots of growth, but very volatile as well, right? And even like if you think about it in phase, I think it, it went through this period of really fast growth and then it was like really down and then now it's getting better. How do you emotionally 
react to when you see some of these high growth investments that you have go down one day five and then tomorrow 10 and then it keeps going down and then everybody's getting crazy on Twitter and everybody else. Um, how do you manage? Does it even impact you at all? And if it does, how do you manage it? Yeah, the, the quick answer to that is to delete your password from your brokerage account. Uh, <laughs> the long answer is um, it takes a toll on everybody. Um, it really does. Um, but if you have a thesis for every single company that you own, I know a lot of investors don't even have thesis. They just invest in a bunch of companies. And so you're not even able to go back and look at why you bought this company in the first place. So if you see it go down 30%, obviously you're going to think something's wrong with this company and you can't go back to your thesis and say, okay, it's still intact. I'm still going to remain invested. So having a reason that you buy every single stock is very important. And I think that helps a lot on, you know, for, for a mentality of an investor, uh, when you're experiencing those downturns, you have to be able to look back to why you bought um, and understand if those reasons are still true um, when they're down 30, 40, even 50, 60%. And you also have to understand that most companies that end up 10Xing or more go through periods where they are just cut in half and it happens. Um, so you, I think having that perspective going into investing um, really helps, helps me and it can help a lot of people. That makes a lot of sense. That's a really good one. What about you, Zane? How, how do you go about sort of managing your emotion? Do you get emotionally, like, do you react emotionally when the stocks go down? Uh, do you guys stocks that you own? And how do you, if you do, how do you manage it? So I did way more than I do now. And I will say, I know that for myself, I experienced FOMO and the fear of missing out uh, when stocks are going up way more than I experienced, um, you know, a problem when the stocks are going down. It's way harder for me to not want to just jump in on the bandwagon, I guess. But also to Connor's point, I have also heard that the best investors are uh, people who die and people who lose the passwords to their brokerage accounts. So that's kind of reinforcing that long-term mindset. Um, and there's a couple other things that I've heard about, you know, for perspective, about 10% of what you need to do as an investor is find really good companies. And then the 90% is just wait and be patient. Um, but so I think it really helps along the way to, like Connor said, know the company, uh, have a thesis, and then you can kind of insulate yourself from, you know, the day-to-day -day market news. Um, this way you're not trading on it and just thinking, does this hurt fundamentally uh, the company that I own? Yeah, you're right though. Like the FOMO these days, it's really hard to just not join the bandwagon and say everybody is on top of it. And sometimes it's just difficult. Is this FOMO or is this real interest, right? Is this like everybody is like, oh my God, we have to be on top of it? Or is it real company and real, real value? And just it happens to be that people are recognizing this is a good company. For me, that's the difficult, difficult one is, is this hype or is this real interest and real value? Uh, so that makes it very difficult for me personally. Um, I know that in stock guardians, they listen to these interviews and introductions to uh, content creators and portfolio creators. They love to get to know you, but everybody is also want to get that a stock pick idea. So I want to get to that in this part. And maybe we do, we split it between one of you talk about one stock you really uh, want to buy in uh, why, or maybe it's something you recently bought. And then maybe one of you can talk about one of stock that you really hate and you don't want to like touch it with 10 foot pole. Uh, pole. Uh, so who wants to go first? So I can talk about that, uh, a stock that I really don't like. 
Okay. Uh, and it kind of, it kind of uh, has a sector to it. And that's a lot of the newer electric vehicles. Connor and I actually just talked about uh, Rivian going public uh, in one of our most recent videos. So that's fresh on our mind. And I think the whole space is really inflated and it's kind of something that I would stay away from until they prove themselves. And each company can show that, you know, they can get over the hurdle of production. That is incredibly difficult uh, manufacturing, but, you know, a lot of investors are kind of discounting that and they're thinking, oh, you know, other companies have done it. This company can do it and it'll be easy and, um, and that kind of thing. So the one that comes to mind mostly is Nikola. Um, you know, I thought early on this, this company is completely vaporware. And I think that's kind of proved to be true. There are people that will still hold it. Um, but it just kind of bothers me to see, you know, a CEO taking advantage of investors like that. And it's something that I would not touch because I don't think there's substance behind it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That again goes back to like, is this FOMO or is it hype or is it real company? Because for four for months, it was just, this is the next Tesla and this is what's going to be the thing that everybody's going to go after. So yeah, it's a really, really good example. Um, all right, now let's just make, get a little bit more uh, optimistic and go to Connor and uh, talk about that one stock that Connor wants to buy or recently bought and why. Yeah, so one company that I researched this past summer, um, it's called Dermtech, and it's one of my favorite um, small caps that, that I own and have owned for a couple months now. Um, and it, it's my favorite small cap in my entire portfolio, and it's, my, it's one of the first biotechs that I've invested in and researched. Um, and so basically what they're trying to do is they're trying to change the way that skin cancer testing is done. So typically you would get a biopsy and this is the way it's been done for decades. And it's a very invasive procedure. You'd have a mark on your skin, you know, a doctor would look at it, would, you know, guess whether it's cancerous or not, not guess, but he, he would have an idea. Um, and he takes a piece of your skin out. He takes a chunk of your skin and sends it off to a lab and they run some tests on it and de determine whether it's cancerous or not. Well, the issue with biopsies is out of 10 times that you get a piece of skin taken out of you and sent off to a lab, nine of those come back negative. So that disincentivizes people from actually going to get tested because they think, man, I've been tested three times before. I have these three scars. Why am I going to get tested again? So Dermtech saw this problem and they're trying to solve it. And so what they're doing is that they're running genomics tests on um, basically the skin particles at DNA and RNA levels um, on people through adhesive bandages that uh, basically they put in a box, they ship it to a dermatologist. Um, a dermatologist sees the mark on, on their skin. They just put the Band-Aid on, they take it off, they put it in a box and they send it off to the lab and they run the tests on it and determine whether it's cancerous or not. It's 99% accurate. Um, you know, it's non-invasive, don't have to have scars for all their patients. Um, and so right now, the main things to look for in that company um, is to make sure that we're getting insurance coverage. So right now, uh, that's not a strong suit. So they don't, they don't have, they have Blue Cross Blue Shield in a few states and they're covered by Medicare. Um, but beyond that, they're not, um, that's an area that they need to expand into. Um, so I'm looking for, I'm, I'm looking to see that expansion in insurance, and I'm also looking to see uh, revenue expectations met every single quarter. That's really good. And let's do a snap test on it, as you said. Is it, if it's now our finger, <laughs> what's going to happen to Derm Tech and its patients and its customers? Talk about that. 
So Dermtech is not a company that passes a SNAP test, and it's not in my high growth, lower risk portfolio for a reason, for that very reason. It is a small cap. You know, it could go to zero. I don't know whether it's going to be a huge success or a huge failure. But what I do know is that if somebody can get a test that's non-invasive, that doesn't give scars, and then somebody right down the road has to get a test that will give them scars, that gets a piece of their skin taken out, um, I really think that consumers will drive this business towards Dermtech. And they have patents covering you know, every single you know, piece of, uh, I guess, healthcare technology that they have. Um, so I think that they've got some competitive advantages in that area, and I really do see it growing in the future. I love it. I actually think the vision of the company passed the snap test, right? Like, because assuming everything works well, and then it's like predominant in, in cancer detection for, for, for skin, then if it goes away and people have to go back to the previous methodology, then a lot of people are going to be really sad, right? That vision really passed the snap test. So that's a really good, that's a really good way of um, looking at it. Awesome. So, um, I obviously love to talk to you guys all the time. I want to bring, get you back to this, um, to the show as often as I can. I know you're super busy and we have only a couple of minutes left. So uh, let's just sort of wrap up with uh, telling the uh, stock guardians, what is your uh, sort of like vision for the portfolios you have on a stock card? How often are you going to uh, plan to update it? Where can they read about the updates on the portfolio? And where can people find you or anything else you would want to share with the stock guardians? Zane, maybe we go with you. Sure. Yeah. Like I said, people can find us on interninvesting.com or at interninvesting on Twitter and intern insights on YouTube. So with that, our we're kind of going to keep updating our portfolios as we go. Um, I'm going to have to make some more as well, because like I said, uh, what I have now is a future of energy portfolio. That's an idea of, you know, what would have happened if I started this uh, early, but um, Connor and I actually just put together more of a collaborative portfolio that the two of us are working on, uh, hoping to see that on stock card soon. It's called unprofessional stocks uh, kind of fits with our intern mindset and our, our intern brand. It's companies that we have, very high conviction in uh, for beating the market over the next five, 10 years. Um, and right now it's pretty concentrated, but we're looking to, I think it has roughly 10 holdings, maybe a dozen holdings. We're looking to uh, increase that as we go, as we talk to more investors, bring them into our show. Um, for example, in two weeks or so, we're going to be talking about a company called Latch. And that's an exciting one. And if Connor and I come together and we think this is a great company, maybe it gets a spot in our portfolio. Nice. Love it. Yeah. And we will, we'll make sure stock guardians, when you guys do videos, we make sure stock guardians get a summary of it. And we put it out like this week on stock on every Friday, we send like an update of what's happening in the world of all the portfolio creators that work with stock card. And they're going to hear the summary and the link to your content for sure. So that's exciting. Uh, Connor, anything you want to add for your high growth, lower risk uh, portfolio or anything else you want to share with the stock guardians? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think I hit on all my points for my personal portfolio. Um, but again, you know, look us up on interninvesting.com. We post blog articles there. We post our YouTube videos, all our podcasts. Um, so we try to get some content out every single week. Um, so you can find us there. Um, my Twitter handle is TMFCConnor. Um, on Twitter. So go ahead and give me a follow if you um, if you listen to this. 
Awesome. Perfect. Yeah, I'll be make sure to put the link to your all of your YouTube channel and your Twitter in the show notes. And obviously, if people go to your soccer portfolio, the link to your social media uh, is also on your portfolio. So I'm sure people get to find you. And let's plan to get you back in here after a couple of months and see how your portfolios are going. Thank you so much for doing this job. Thanks for having us.